Welcome to Northgate Bible Chapel Online. Thanks for checking out our podcast, where you can listen to our latest sermons, filled with teaching, encouragement, and hope from God's Word. So whether you're outdoors, in the car, or just poured some coffee, let's dive into today's message. Good morning. It's uh, so good to be out here, along with the saints here this morning. Um, As a quick word of introduction, I know uh, my AB had uh, introduced me earlier. Uh, For those of you who do not know me, my name is Thomas Abraham. Not related to AB in in any other way, (laughs) other than through the relationship that we have as uh, both our wives are siblings. And it's so interesting that my parents' names are exactly the same as A.B. Abraham's. <laughs> my dad is Abraham and my mom is Susan as well. And uh, it has to be divine design. <laughs> anyway, so good to be here this morning. And um, um, as was mentioned, we, we live in the Columbus, Ohio area. And we fellowship with the saints at Columbus Bible Chapel. And uh, it's uh, truly a privilege to be here. It uh, gives us great joy to be here this morning to witness uh, Nora's baptism along with uh, Nora's uh, proud uh, grandparents from both sides of the family and uh, along with the rest of the saints here at uh, Northgate Bible Chapel. So this morning, um, we shall continue our study from the book of Ruth. Uh, we will be in chapter 4. Let's uh, begin with a quick word of prayer. Gracious God, a loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, Lord's Day morning, for the privilege of gathering in thy great and glorious name. Thank you for the privilege of remembering, O God, of your amazing love and all that you have accomplished for us through your beloved Son, our blessed Savior. And it it is in his name that we are here assembled, Father, to open your word and to learn from it. And pray that you would speak to each one of our hearts, encourage our hearts. O God, we pray through thy blessed Holy Spirit that any here who are discouraged would be encouraged. If any of us need uh, um, a reminder, uh, disciplining a word of encouragement from your word, that we might receive it if it is in your will. Father, once again, we commit our time to you. Pray that you would guide us by thy blessed Holy Spirit, that every word that is said here would be to the praise and to the glory of thine and to the edification of your people. To that end, we pray that we... Commit ourselves to you. Guide us by thy spirit. Give you thanks. And in Jesus Christ's most precious name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and read uh, Ruth uh, chapter 4. And I have to say this. Um, I've been listening to um, all the messages that have been preached to the prior three chapters. And I've thoroughly enjoyed. And uh, just enjoyed is probably not the right word. I've been blessed. And uh, I praise the Lord for all the brethren who have... uh, gone before me here in presenting the truths from the first three chapters of Ruth. And uh, so this morning, let's get started, and we'll reading. We'll be reading from Ruth chapter 4, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Ruth chapter 4 and verse 1 reads as follows, Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down, and they sat down. 
Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. So he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, on that day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi. You must also buy it from Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. Verse 6, and the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was a confirmation in Israel. Verse 8, therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilean's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Therefore Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. Verse 11, and all the people who were gathered at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house like, be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he went in into her, the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative and may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who's better to you than seven sons has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Also the neighbor women gave him a name and saying, there is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot, begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nation. Nation begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz. And Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David. May God add his blessing on the reading of his holy word. This morning, if I were to give a title to the teaching this morning, it would be The Man on a Mission. The Man on a Mission. When we get to chapter 4 of Ruth, the, the spotlight is primarily on Boaz. And like uh, Naomi prophesied, uh, as you read through the, um, the last verse of chapter 3, this is what Naomi says, we, we see him as a man who will not rest until the redemption is accomplished. And uh, how true was that 
of Boaz. So this morning, I would like to begin uh, this teaching by asking a question, and this question might, uh, might sound a bit strange, but please bear with me until we get to the end. And the question goes something like this. Do you have sandals on your feet? Or has it been taken away from you? So the question is, do you have sandals on your feet or has it been taken away from you? The scripture references Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 10. I'm sure we have, we have read through some of those passages in the last three weeks. Um, and so for our consideration this morning, I would like to look at five aspects in relation to Ruth chapter 4. Five aspects in relation to Ruth chapter 4. Firstly, we will review some of the key concepts. Again, the point there is review. I'm sure we've, we've been through this in the, in the last uh, several weeks. We will review key concepts such as a kinsman redeemer, and we'll also look at the leverite marriage. Secondly, we shall recount the story. Thirdly, we'll look at, we'll reason with our anonymous relative or friend, and uh, there are some lessons that we can learn from our reasoning with our anonymous friend there. I trust that it will be a blessing to you. Fourthly, we look at Boaz's reaction. And finally, we'll close with this. The, rec the, recomp the recompensate of reward. What is the reward that um, the Lord has for Naomi and for Boaz and for us as well as we consider his word this morning? So first off, we will quickly review Two of the key aspects, the principles that we see in the unfolding in the story of Ruth. And like we said, one being the kinsman redeemer, and the other being the leveret marriage. Right? The story of Ruth is, is a wonderful foreshadowing of our redemption. I'm sure you would agree with me on that. Right? In Boaz, we see a kinsman redeemer in action. Boaz, as we know, is a type of our Lord Jesus Christ, and what he did for Ruth in becoming her kinsman redeemer, gives us a glimpse of what Christ will do and now has done for us, as we've been remembering even this morning. The Hebrew word translated closest to relative is the word ge'el. Go'el is the participle of the verb ge'el, which means to redeem. This Hebrew word is, up, is used about 104 times in the King James Version of the scriptures, right? And, and it's generally translated as redeem or redeemer. And it's done about um, 68 times in the King James Version. 68 times of the 104, 68 times is redeem or redeemer. It's also translated as a kinsman or a close relative. And we see that about 13 times. The word is also translated as an avenger, as in uh, Numbers chapter 35 and verse 12. So th this word is used about 21 times right in the book of Ruth alone. As you can imagine, this is a, this is a key word for you and I to pay attention to, right? The kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer was usually a, a prominent male in one's extended family. He was the official guardian of the family's honor. If the occasion arose, he would be the one to avenge the blood of a murdered relative, as we see in Joshua chapter 20 and verse 2. 
he could buy back family land sold in times of hardships, as we see in Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 23. He could be the one paying the redemption price for family members sold into slavery. We see that in Leviticus 25 and 47. So in short, the kinsman redeemer was a rescuer, was a restorer, if you may will. It's a word that is used more of God than of human. I thought that was pretty interesting. To be a kinsman redeemer, obviously we, there are certain requirements to be met for one to become a kinsman redeemer. There are four basic requirements. One, obviously, has to be a kin. Right? The only way you could be a kinsman redeemer was that you had to be of the same family. Secondly, there had to be a willingness on the part of the kinsman redeemer. Right? Um, as in the story of Ruth, we find that the closest relative may not be willing to redeem. And in which case, the individual cannot be forced to redeem. Right? Be, being willing is at the heart of what a kinsman redeemer is. Thirdly, a kinsman redeemer had to be able to redeem. Right? Willingness alone was not enough to be a kinsman redeemer. If you did not have the financial means to make the redemption, then you could not be the redeemer. Fourthly, you had to pay the price in full. There was no such thing as a partial redemption. There is not like, here is a down payment. I'll come back in a few years and give you the, the rest of it. No. You got to pay it all in full. When, when it came to being a kinsman redeemer, unless the price was paid in full, there was no redemption. It was truly an all or nothing proposition. What an incredible reminder that is as we think of our own kinsman redeemer. So, in addition, to the concept of kinsman redeemer, we also see this principle of the levered marriage coming into play in the story of Ruth. Our brother Benson rightly reminded us even last week that we, we, we do not see this completely in play in the story of Ruth. It's kind of mind-boggling in, in some ways as to how, about how this whole story came about. And uh, as you read through Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verses 5 through 10, we see, we, we read about this levered marriage. And so if you're like me, you're wondering, what is all this levered? Does it have anything to do, to do with the tribe of Levi? No, right? The word levered or uh, lever is a Latin word, I believe, which basically means husband's brother. So a levered marriage is a marriage with a brother-in-law. So in ancient times, if a man died without a child, it was common for the man's unmarried brother to marry the widow in order to provide an heir for the deceased. A widow would marry a brother-in-law and the child produced in that union was considered the legal descendant of her dead husband. And so if the kinsman redeemer was able to marry he could revive the family lineage when someone died without an heir. So the Old Testament places a great deal of emphasis on the role of the kinsman redeemer, and we see the reason why, right? Every kinsman redeemer was in effect a living illustration of the position and work of Christ with, reg with respect to his people. 
the Lord Jesus Christ is our true kinsman redeemer. He became our brother who bought us back from our bondage to sin, redeemed our lives from death, and ultimately returns to us everything that, that mankind ever lost. And beyond that, that is the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. How we praise God for that. Secondly, moving on, having reviewed uh, those key concepts, let's quickly recount the story in chapter 4. Right? It's interesting how the story of Ruth starts off, at least in my mind, as mission impossible. Right? As you, um, as you read through chapter 1, I'm sure all of us have read through these chapters. I have read through the book of Ruth probably more times in this past week than my entire life, I, would, I have to admit. I've been just reading through, you know, in my driving and back to um, back and forth from work and home and all that, just listening to Ruth chapters one through four. And what started off as mission impossible ends up as mission accomplished, all because of a man who was on a mission. Right? The story of Ruth is truly fascinating, uh, a true cliffhanger, if you may will, in some ways, with elements of suspense sprinkled throughout the account. How incredible is that? One such moment that stood out to me was in uh, chapter 3 when, um, when Boaz says, yes, I am, Boaz is speaking to Ruth, he says, yes, I am your close relative. And, and uh, you know, imagine yourself to be reading through this book for the first time and your heart just fills up with joy. And Boaz says, yes, I am your close relative. But then he goes on to say, but there is one who is closer than I am. Wow. My heart really sank at that moment. I'm sure yours did too, if you were reading it for the first time, right? Now, now the story of um, the story that we find in chapter four is that the scene moves to the to the city gate. That's where we find Boaz sitting at the city gate. City gate, as as we all know, is a place where business is conducted, where disputes are settled, where even marriages are arranged. And we find Boaz there sitting and waiting for the man who was a close relative of Elimelech to pass by. And lo and behold, we find the close relative passing by. Wow. What is the probability of this man passing that way that day? Right? I don't know about that. Right? But this we know that there is definitely by divine design. How true of that is it is in your life and man, as I look around here, as we have families here, how true is that, that God has things planned out for your life and mine? A thought that should rest our doubts and fears as we go through this life. I need that, I need that to be preached to myself as I wake up every morning. And there, lo and behold, we find Boaz waiting for the man, and the man passes by, and Boaz calls out his name. I'm sure, right? Boaz called out for the man by his name and flags him down. But the writer of the book of uh, Ruth doesn't tell us the man's name. Have you noticed that? And there are reasons for that, right? This anonymous kinsman redeemer is addressed as a Mr. So-and-so. I believe if in, the, in the original Hebrew, um, if you were to translate uh, into English, it would probably be like, Mr. So-and-so, 
And here's another thing that I really found interesting in the, in the net version of the Bible. Does anybody have the net version here? If you were to read the net version, you will find the name. Anybody want to take a guess? John Doe. <laughs> and I was so fascinated by that. If you were to read the net Bible, you would find the name John Doe. What does that signify? John Doe is a standard designation for someone who is a party to legal proceedings whose name is unknown. Right? I thought that was uh, pretty interesting though. So, moving on with the story here. And so in the presence of the 10 elders of the city, Boaz presents his case to the anonymous redeemer. And what does a man do, right? He jumps at the prospect of buying Naomi's property. And he emphatically says, I will redeem it, he says. You see the flesh acting up there, right? He says, I will redeem it, he says. But when Boaz rightfully reminded him of his responsibility that he who buys the land from Naomi has to marry Ruth as well, our anonymous friend immediately retracts his decision. And he has a change of mind, right? And he says, you know what? I don't want to fulfill this duty as the kinsman redeemer. And it is at that opportune moment, right, that Boaz declares his intentions of not only buying the property, but also his desire to marry Ruth. And we know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, right? And now we know the rest of the story. Right, Boaz married Ruth, and they were blessed with the son Obed. Moving on, thirdly, I want us to, if you may will, to look at this aspect of reasoning with this anonymous friend. And in the process, hope to learn a few lessons from his inactions. We could, um, I, I read this uh, in one of the commentaries, and, and the commentator had this to say, that we could probably see the anonymous close relative as signifying the law. And the 10 elders who are witnesses to the man's inability to redeem as the 10 commandments. The curse of the law rested upon the Moabites that they shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord even to the 10th generation is what we read in Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 3. Therefore, the law could not bring Ruth into redemption, but only kept her out of it. Paul rightfully reminds us in Romans 3, Romans 8 and 3, for what the law could not do, I love that verse, for what the law could not do, that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Oh, what a beautiful reminder. Praise be to God for his unspeakable gift in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom both Jew and Gentile have access into the very presence of God. So our anonymous close relative, when initially presented with Naomi's case, probably jumped on the prospect of buying the land and increasing his own possession and inheritance. But the moment he realized of his elaborate responsibility of marrying Ruth, he quickly had a change of heart, right? And according to the law and the practice of the day, if he were to marry Ruth, the field so redeemed would belong to the son whom he would bear through Ruth. 
So this was more of a business dealing in the man's mind than fulfilling the kinsman redeemer's responsibility. Right? He was your typical uh, self-minded man looking out for his own good. He reminds us of your flesh and mine. Before I bash this man too much, right? if I were to be honest with myself, I am like him and you are too. You and I are very calculative in our thoughts and our actions. I don't know about you, but I, am, I know I am. I am for sure are, I am. Many a times we count the cost of caring and serving for others. Caring and serving others involves um, sacrifice of time and effort and even money in some, some cases, right? Our Lord himself in Matthew's Gospel 16 and verse 24 said to, to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, is what our Lord said. So back to the story. So our anonymous friend says to Boaz, I cannot redeem it for myself. It's not that he cannot redeem it. He basically did not want to redeem it, right? So he passes the baton on to Boaz and says, you redeem it, brother, you redeem it. And probably in much disgrace, the man takes the sandals off his feet and gives it off to Boaz. By doing that, he was surrendering his right to redeem the property. That was the tradition of the day is what we just read there from Ruth chapter 4. According to Deuteronomy chapter 7, the, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 7, tradition says that... Um, for Naomi and Ruth, they could have taken the shoes themselves off the man's feet. And they could have spat on his face. That was what, that's what Deuteronomy chapter 27 and verse 10 says. To literally disgrace the man. Had Naomi and Ruth spat on the man's face, it would have been perfectly fine according to the law. Because that's what the law says. If you're not able to fulfill the kinsman redeemer's job, then the recipient has the right to take the shoes off your feet and to spit on your face as a disgrace, as a reminder of his disgrace of the inability to fulfill the kinsman redeemer's job. So the story of Ruth is not only the story of God's redeeming grace, but we also see that amazing grace, abundant grace flowing through Naomi and Ruth, right? We as God's children appreciate his grace, God's grace toward us. We like to sing of it, we like to talk about it, but the challenge is many a times, does that grace flow in through us? Are we able to exhibit that grace toward others? especially those who have offended us in some way, in one way or the other. Right? Paul in Ephesians 4 and verse 32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you, is what it says. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I am constrained to be. Let that grace like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. 
Teach me, Lord, some rapturous measure meet for blood-bought hosts above. While I sing the countless treasure of my God's unchanging love is what the hymn writer said. So may this grace not only, may God help us not only to be recipients of this grace, but that this grace would flow in and through our lives, that others might be able to see the grace of God in and through our lives and praise him for that. Fourthly, moving on. My time here is quickly running out. Fourthly, we will look at Boaz's reactions and the lessons we can learn from that, right? Boaz, as we, as we know, and we have been talking about it, is a type of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our kinsman redeemer, right? The first point that I want to bring out is that Boaz put himself under oath. He put himself under oath to fulfill his, the promise to redeem Ruth if the closest relative should refuse. Where do we find that? In chapter 3 and verse 13, we see Boaz telling Ruth that he will perform his duties as the Lord liveth, he says. Therein we see him bringing himself under the oath of God. This is what the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 17 says, speaking of of the oath that God has made toward us, God, he says, the writer of Hebrews says, God to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. Verse 18, that we who have fled for refuge may lay hold upon the hope set before us. Oh, how we praise God for that. That we who have fled for refuge may lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. So firstly, Boaz put himself under oath. Secondly, one of the many Christ-like characters, character traits that we see in Boaz, um, one, of the, one, of that, one of which was that he spoke the truth in love. We see that exhibited throughout the book of Ruth. Boaz spoke to the anonymous friend in chapter 4 and verse 4, he says, and I thought to inform you, he says. I believe in the, in the Septuagint, which as we all know is a Greek translation of the Old Testament. The Greek word that is used here, therefore, and I thought to inform you, basically the word there basically means to remove the veil, to expose, to full view what had been hidden. The closest relative probably was unaware of the fact that Naomi had returned from Moab and that he was the first in line to redeem Elimelech's family. And Boaz wanted to remove that veil. Christ came into the world, speaking of our kinsman redeemer. Christ came into the world to remove the veil that we might see the salvation, the grace of God that God has wrought for mankind. Christ came into the world that we might see the Father through him. And now Jews and Gentiles both have access to God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10 and 19 says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh. Thirdly, moving on, although Boaz was in love with Ruth, right, we see him still willing to trust God with the outcome, a clear message for our young people this day, as they wait upon the Lord for their future spouses. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not in thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. We see our Lord in the garden of Gethsemane praying. Let this cup pass from me nevertheless, 
not my will but thine be done what an amazing kinsman redeemer we have in our savior the lord jesus christ boaz was doing god's will in god's way we don't see him cutting corners or even trying to fast track god's will a lot of times that's what you and i want to do i don't know about you but a lot of time i want to fast track i i think this is what god's will for my life is but god is there any way you can speed things up for me i like to get to the end of this but god has his plans and his purposes in allowing things in the way they are that we might appreciate more of his grace that we might learn more of his love boaz ultimately redeemed ruth and he became her redeemer romans 3:24 says being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in christ jesus regarding the purpose of the redemption boaz made his intentions very clear right this is what we read in western he says it was to raise raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance romans 6 and 4 paul this is what paul says we are buried with him through baptism into death that just as christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father even so we also should walk in the newness of life as we are here assembled ready to witness nora's baptism this morning as nora goes down into the water she will signify to the world of her death and her burial with christ and as she comes out out of that water she will signify to the world that she is alive in christ baptism truly is an outward representation of an inward reality and how we praise god that this is true in nora's life boaz was a man of unwavering determination to accomplish what he had promised to ruth and we could see this we could say this about um our our kinsman redeemer as well isaiah chapter 50 and verses 4 through 11 there we see the sufferings of the messiah right um he this is what we read he will not shrink back from his mission despite severe suffering opposition and humiliation because the sovereign lord helps me we read there i will not be disgraced therefore have i set my face like flint and i know i will not be put to shame isaiah 50 and verse 7 jesus said in john 4 and 34 my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish it and in fulfillment of of that our lord's last words on the cross where it is finished or oh, isn't that music to our ears how we praise god for that that our salvation is indeed complete and we rest upon him boaz was a true servant at heart right he could have very well sent someone one of his servants to the city gate to discuss the matter with the kinsman redeemer but he went there himself and settled the matter boaz was a true servant at heart it's ironic that his son was named obed as obed means to serve servanthood was part of who he was boaz purchased ruth as a wife for himself christ has purchased us from the slavery of sin and made us his own we are bought with a price not with the corruptible things of silver and gold but with the precious blood of christ as a lamb without blemish 
there is so much more that can be said about the kinsman redeemer, but due to want of time, I want to move on. Finally, I want to consider the aspect of reward. The recompensate of the reward. As the story comes to an end, we see the spirit of God bringing Naomi back into the picture one final time. Naomi had gone to Moab of her own free will. And after passing of her husband and her two sons, she probably felt alone and angry with God and had bitterness toward him. And she says, don't call me Naomi, for Naomi means pleasant, but call me Mara. Mara means bitterness. But then she turned her back on Moab and returned to Bethlehem, the place of God's appointment for Naomi. And after her return, we see her as one who lived a life of dependence upon God. Fast forward, and now after the birth of Obed, the women of the village gathered this time to bless God. Oh, how amazing that should have been. And they declare that Yahweh has been, has more than compensated Naomi for all her losses. And Ruth's newborn is regarded as Naomi's kinsman redeemer. Oh, how beautiful is this story. It gets beautiful as the pages go on. Such as the beauty of our salvation, such as the beauty of our redemption. Traditionally, Obed, who is looked on as Malon's child, is to be Naomi's restorer of life and a nourisher of her in her old age is what we read there. Right? What seemed impossible in Naomi's mind, like having a grandchild or maybe even having a family to care for, now has finally become a reality. Furthermore in, uh, furthermore, in time, we read that Obed himself will ultimately marry and have a family, right? And Naomi's great-grandson will become Israel's great King David. God has not only recompensed Naomi for her devotion and faithfulness to him, but he has blessed, us, blessed her above and beyond her expectations, such as the goodness of our great God. God is a debtor to no man. And he loves to reward his children. I love this verse. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to his children? Colossians 3 and 23, this is what Paul says, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord knowing that you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. What a wonderful reminder, dearly beloved. The story that started with famine and death ends up with new birth and life. Isn't that the story of every born-again child of God? That we who are dead in our sins and in our trespasses have been brought back to life. We have been given newness of life. And that is what we are here to celebrate this morning 
in Nora's baptism. As we witness Nora's baptism, may we be reminded of the goodness and the grace of God. As we go to our uh, homes, may we be reminded, may we be found faithful in the things that God has entrusted to us. Whether it be in our homes, whether it be in the local assembly, may God help us to be faithful, to trust in him, to depend on him. So we began this morning with this question. Do you have sandals on your feet? When a kinsman redeemer did not fulfill his responsibilities, his sandals were taken away from him. Sandals speaks of one's possession and rest and readiness to fulfill one's duties. You would recall <clears throat> the Israelites were to eat their Passover with their feet shod to show that they were ready for their journey. And this is what Paul says in Ephesians 6 and 15, right? Speaking of the believer's armor, this is what Paul says in Ephesians 6 and 15, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. If you haven't already accepted Christ as your personal savior, as your kinsman redeemer, now is the accepted time. But for those of us who know him as our kinsman redeemer, are you walking in obedience to the gospel? Is your life ordered by the gospel? Oh, how much more you and I need to be doing that. As we are testaments to the world, as the world looks at your life and mine, may we be witnesses for the grace of God and his transforming power. Are you sharing this good news to those around you? May God help us to have our foot shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Once again, thank you for the opportunity to share from God's word this morning. I trust that um, uh, these thoughts have been a blessing to you. They have been a real blessing to me as I've been um, considering this passage this past week. And I trust that it will do the same to you as well. Let's close in a word of prayer. Gracious God, a loving Heavenly Father, we are so grateful, we are so thankful, Father, for all that you have done for us in the giving of your Son, something that our finite minds can never fully understand. But Lord, through our eyes of faith, how we thank you for our Savior, our kinsman, Redeemer, who was not only willing but also able and the one who accomplished it, the one who finished the work of redemption for mankind. Father, how we thank you for the story of Ruth. How we thank you, Father, for all the lessons that you have brought to our attention this morning. Pray that you would continue to guide us by thy blessed Holy Spirit. May the Spirit encourage our hearts to walk and to live our life for thy glory and for the edification of thy people. Father, we thank you this morning for Sister Nora. We pray that you would continue to guide her. We thank you for her. Thank you for the blessing that she's been to us in the local assembly here and also to us as a family. 
We are so grateful for how you have drawn her unto yourself. And pray, O oh Father God, that as she takes this step of faith, pray that you would continue to accomplish your will and your plans for her life, that you would go on to be a witness for you, to be a witness of thy sovereign grace, and to live a life that is pleasing to you. Once again, Lord, we commit ourselves to you. Thank you for Northgate. Thank you for the believers here. Thank you for the leadership. We pray that you would continue to strengthen each one, that as a body, that they would go on to glorify and honor you. We give you thanks and praise, and pray this prayer in the blessed name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, turn with me, if you would, to uh, Romans chapter 6. Nice warm water here, as telling Ted I might be here for longer than I think I wanted to be here for. <laughs> but then he reminded me uh, he might close this. Uh, <laughs> I'll try to make it quick. <laughs> Romans chapter 6. Uh, and we'll read from verse 1 to 11. A beautiful picture here of of the death of our Savior and his resurrection, and that depicting how we are dead, or our old life, or old man is dead, and Nora acknowledges that today, and how she's risen with Christ. Our Savior is risen and seated at the right hand of the throne of God, and that makes us, that makes Nora alive in Christ. And so we will see that picture here in Romans chapter 6, verse 1 to 11. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This passage here uh, shows two, two people, the old man and the new man. And the old man is buried, crucified, body of sin done away with, uh, dead to sin, uh, and taken away uh, with our Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for, for our sins, for Nora's sins. And being risen up, uh, the old man is dead and now there is a new man. And the new man is alive to God in Christ. Uh, walks in newness of life is what we read here. And as Paul would say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that is what Nora is here uh, to declare today to the saints here at Northgate Bible Chapel. Nora, do you have any words to say before we baptize you? Uh, go ahead. Hi, my name is Nora Abraham. It happened on the night of September 25th, 2018. After dad put us to bed, I lay there thinking, what would happen to me if Jesus came today? After thinking it through, I decided that I wanted to get saved. I knew that Jesus had come into the world to save sinners like me. So I knelt down by my bed and I confessed that I was a sinner and I asked God to come into my heart. After I prayed to God, I knew that I was now saved. I had always wanted to get baptized to express my faith and obedience to the Lord. But I have a great fear of water. But over the last few years, the Lord has given me the courage to <clears throat> trust him even in my fears. So here I am, ready to obey him. And I pray that through all my fears, I would learn to trust him always. My dad always encourages me in my faith and my swimming, and I'm very happy and excited to be baptized by him today. So Nora, I'm going to ask you three questions. Uh, do you believe that Je the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died for you, that he has taken away your sin and has brought you new life through his resurrection? Yes, I do. Nora, do you intend to follow him with the help of the Holy Spirit uh, for the rest of your days here on the earth? Yes, I do. 
Nora, do you believe that the same Jesus who died for you and is now risen and seated at the right hand of the throne of God is coming again to take you unto himself so that where he is, there you will be too? Yes, I believe. Based on your declaration of faith, uh, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. We'll sing uh, Nora's favorite hymn, 545, from the Red Book, and then I'll pray for Nora. Father, we thank you for your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the life that we have in and through his death. Accept a grain of 
uh, wheat fall into the ground and die, uh, it cannot live. And Father, we thank you for uh, your promises. We thank you, oh Father God, for what you have provided in your Son and what you have provided uh, in your Son for, for Nora. Uphold her in your hands, we pray. And Father, we look to you for her, that as she goes on in this newness of life, that she would ever look unto you, the author and perfecter of our faith, of her faith, that she would uh, lean on not her own understanding, but on the understanding that you provide, that you would strengthen her with all might and grace and, and mercy from above, that in the difficulties of life, that she would look unto her Savior and Lord, that she would go forth mightily for you and for your kingdom um, as alive in the newness of life in Christ Jesus. Father, we look to you for her. Pray that you would bless her, watch over her. We thank you, Father God, for uh, this expression of faith and uh, pray that you would uh, bless our time again of uh, fellowship together, uh, even as we uh, partake of this uh, small meal together as well. We give you thanks for your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and in his matchless and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.